How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 163. I'm glad you remembered. <laughs> I'm glad I remembered, too. <laughs> now I'm in my old age. Cheeky, yeah. it's, it's, it's hard to remember sometimes. Oh, Ooh, that's a good voice. Can you, do my... it? Can you do it more? <laughs> Would you like it for the rest of the episode? No, oh, no, um, no, that's, no, that, that's um, okay. We, we don't need that. Um, yeah. How are you, I'm Mr. Good. Diagrilla? I'm very good. Yeah. It's been a wild week. It has indeed. Yeah. I, I want to. I want to apologise the audience. Firstly, it's been it's been a while since we've been late. Yeah, a day late. So, sorry about that. I will. I will stand up and uh, I will have the honours of saying that it was entirely Zeke's fault. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's okay. This is true. Unfortunately, we can't supply our careers with just this podcast. So. No, we don't get paid enough for just this one podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> I forgot I had a a work shift late last night, and due to my masters, I was quite busy during the week. Mm. So that's all good. We forgive you. I broke shake and said, "I'm going to break out." I think over you said over a year, or roughly. I a think year. the last time I remember us being late was with Stephen on Memories of Murder. And um, which, Stephen, which we remember it that. Was, it, Don't remember. No, no, it Stephen was not Clark. Stephen's fault. It was not Stephen's fault. Was it yours? No. Was I wasn't, wasn't going to say it, but you've narrowed it down. Is it me? It was your fault. Yeah. You were sick, remember? This is true. But to be fair, I think the very first time we were late, I think it was my fault because I was sick. I was working on Otto, which Jared still hasn't come out yet. Come on, son. What's going yeah, on? So, um... <laughs> I actually did see an early cut of it. We've always established that it's about a weekly podcast, which means it can come out at any point in the week. But any we try. Any point. Um, yeah. We always try and aim for the Mondays. Um, we do apologise in advance, particularly me this week. In this advance. Was... <laughs> yes. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, <laughs> Shot myself. <laughs> so, Jake, have you got any film trivia facts uh, on the film of the week? I do actually. So, of course, we're talking about. Come on, come on. Uh, I'm very excited to talk about. I just kind of want to come on and get this uh, discussion going, mm. but uh, I'm not going to jump into that. My trivia fact is actually a very specific one, okay. so bear with me. I'm going to get into a bit of a quote here. Uh, so, to quote, direct is it Mike Mills? I believe it's Mike Mills, mm. the director. M-I-L-L-S. Uh, you can put an apostrophe after the S if you want to say Mike Mills's quote, which I'm about to read. Uh, and this is, of course, regarding... Uh, what he believes to be the heart of the film of Come On, Come On, mm-hmm. uh, and it being the idea of giving a kid a bath, mm-hmm. um, which I love that sort of iconography, that imagery, uh, especially in, in the case of this film, it not being the boy's biological mm-hmm. father. Um, but the quote is, that's at the core, all the intimacy, all the interpersonal richness uh, that can happen in this very intimate space. Very small, something a film usually doesn't think is important enough to film, and that's the core. Then I wanted to know the intimacy into America, like a bigger space. And that contrast is really exciting. I kept having this urge to thrust out into a much larger version of our world. So I did that by giving, uh, by going, excuse me, to the cities and by having all of the other kids. Um, now, this isn't the most uh, curt quote mm-hmm. or curt um, fun fact of the film. Yeah. But the reason I wanted to focus on this one specifically is because I totally understand where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. There is a feature that I would love to write in the future. And we've, we've talked about this one a little bit mm-hmm. um, that goes into, you know, fatherhood and ambition and intergenerational 
uh, wealth and hand-me-downs and all of these like big high-concept ideas I want to explore in this one film. For sure. But the core element, the film bursts to life at the image of a 19-year-old father reading his son a Mr. Men book, which is equally as, I think, intimate as the quote from Especially Mike Especially given one of the scenes in the film that we will discuss in the second half of the show. Absolutely. So I want to give him a bit of a shout-out there. Zeke? Do you have a trivia fact for me? Yeah, to build on the point, um, this film was shot in sequence, i.e. chronological order. Yes, I love that. Which, you know, is very important, I think. I think it adds to the authenticity of of Mill's work with this particular film. And so we'll explore in the later half of Mm. the show. Um, Quite fascinating to unpack and... Emotionally moving as we unravel, particularly the two central characters of the show. But I would argue there are three um, yeah, sure. that we explore intricately. Um, and watching their characters unfold in a natural, organic timescape. So mm. to do this chronologically, organically, was the right notion in the first place. But, yeah, Jake. I do love that. Yes. Just come on, come on, sit in your 1100 to watch before you... So, this would be a first time for me. Okay. It's the first time, and of course it's not on the poster already because Mm -hmm. it's it's far too recent, it's a 2021 film, of course, but my answer would probably have to be, I'm not sure yet. (laughs) Now, I say that because I want to have our discussion first. Sure. I don't have any particular quarrels with this film. I think it's a wonderful film. I know that you... You love it a lot, based yeah. on the, <laughs> the scores that we've seen of each other in that, I imagine. So, um, I am totally at the whim of sitting back and letting you almost pitch to me what was so special about this film before I cool. answer yes or no at the end of this podcast, if I'm allowed to do that. Sure. <laughs> uh, I fundamentally think this film will become more prominent with age sure. and would 100% consider it. You know, 21st century list or 21st mm. century relevance, this film will become prolific. And probably, in my opinion, one of the most prolific in Joaquin Phoenix's careers. Wow. Okay. Um, and I will dive into the second half of the show why I think that notion. Um, yeah, a little teaser. I like before it. we tap into that, Jake, what have you caught in the last week? Um, I haven't caught too much. Um, I've just felt really kind of restless lately you know what i mean i just find it hard to see a lot going on with the world there there is yeah with the world you know (laughs) (laughs) that's well actually to that point i was in an empty theater watching come on come on and just getting spammed with text in a group chat about well some of the world news that's been happening we don't need to get too specific but Mm -hmm. it generally is very distracting so it's like there's part of that and the interpersonal stuff as well and all of that so i've I've been struggling to watch stuff in the last week but um other than the Euphoria season two finale, which I did catch, and I kind of talked about it last week, and and I had, I think it's a well-made show, but I have issues with sort of the, um, and the finale consolidates your understanding. I think the finale for me, and I won't get too specific. I'll mention some character names and talk about arcs very um, mm-hmm. broadly because I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen the finale yet. Um, are you at all interested in watching Euphoria? Eventually, but n- not. Like, you can 100% dive into the yeah. intricacies of the show. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll keep it spoiler-free for anyone listening who doesn't want to hear it yet. Um, 
Because I think eventually maybe it probably will be. I don't think there's any rush, personally, mm-hmm. unless you really are into cinematography in particular. This, this show does some fantastic things in that regard. Um, but narratively, with this finale, I was actually somewhat disappointed. And I thought sure. there were a lot of arcs that were left very loose, um, weren't really touched on in any meaningful way. Uh, one of the only arcs I was really looking forward to this entire season was actually Ruse. And the idea that she was sort of trying to balance these two things that had prior seemed like an impossibility, mm-hmm. which is this relationship with Jules, but then also the drug addiction that she has. And that's sort of being manifested through this new character, Elliot, who comes in. And I thought the balance of that was really interesting. And it all comes ahead in episode five. And that's like her big, like, she's going to win the Emmy this year performance in that episode. It's absolutely wonderful. And then episode six, seven, eight, it's like, oh, she's just there. Oh, and Jules is just there too. Oh, and Elliot's just there too. Oh, and Kat's there too, except she didn't even have an arc to begin. Mm-hmm. And that's very... People know now that her and, and Sam Levison had a bit of a, a spat on set, so basically her entire arc was cut out of the season, which is frankly just very disrespectful because she was actually one of my favourite characters in the last season. Um, there's just a lot of characters here that I wasn't satisfied with how they were handled. Um, Lexi is probably the closest. I, I think it's cool that she was like the character who was so emotionally removed from all the ridiculousness of the show, or like the the sex and the drugs and the crazy shenanigans of like mm-hmm. you know this crazy high school bloody Thirteen Reasons Why esque craziness. Yeah, for um, sure. She was like the one character removed from it of like yeah you're crazy, um, and she was really sweet and relatable. And I I really like her arc in this one where it it sort of pushes her more into it in a way that is self-reflective and where mm-hmm. she decides to make a play based on the people around her. And I think it's smart for the season to all funnel its way to this play, which mm-hmm. is essentially a two-part finale, is yeah. her stage performance and sort of the mirror turned against all the characters. I mean, it's a great idea in theory, but again, a lot of drops, like the, like the big cliffhanger episode seven kind of goes nowhere. Mm. And I, I feel like a lot of things are like that. The stuff with um, Ash and 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 Fez and and these characters, I'm like, I it's I know it's meant to be emotional and upsetting, and it's it's really sad what happens to some of these characters and in this aspect of the storyline. I also thought it didn't need to happen the way it did, and it happened because characters were acting stupid, mm. and um, I was actually quite disappointed. With it. I'm probably so I'm gonna go on serialized. It's gonna be the first time I use serialized instead of Letterbox for TV. <laughs> Um, I might end up giving it just a three-star review because I think narratively right. there's a lot to be desired, a lot to be answered, but um, I still think it's a very well-made show despite all the controversy. And, mm. and I still think it's very um, excessive and, and exploitative of um, of uh, penises and, and other body parts. <laughs> but yeah, so I watched that and I watched another Mike Mills film, which I'll talk about. The second half of the show. show. Yeah, exactly. What about you, Zeke? What have you been watching? Um, look, to be honest, dry week for me, um, for the most part. I have almost concluded the first season of Succession. I've been Very enjoying nice. it. Um, I can't say I've hit that Breaking Bad oh shit moment. Sure, but, sure. Um, for the most part, it's been pretty positive. Um, you know the film I caught, so I obviously watched the film of the week. And the day that... Prior to it, I, I caught one of our Oscar nom buzz people. Yes, films, yes. Which was Belfast. Um, Very good. And look, you know what? I liked it. 
it sort of sits in, like you said, the Minari sort of section. Okay. Um, which the film of the week probably also sits in that sort of section too. Yeah, I mean, I definitely ahead of time talked about come on, come on in the Minari sense of wholesome and all of that. Belfast kind of has the reverse osmosis of Belfast, um, of, of Minari in the sense that it's not about immigrants arriving in a new country trying to do the American dream. It's mm. more a family in Northern Ireland eventually proceeding, to, uh, having the internal conflict of leaving uh, Northern Ireland based on the rights and dispositions of culture at the time right, yep. to places like Australia, Canada, and elsewhere in the Commonwealth. And... Look, big big props to the the film. I think the uh, the lead actress, the boy, is fantastic. Mm. He's uh this year's Jojo Rabbit, sort of. Ah, oh, very nice. Yeah. Um, he's fantastic. Uh, Jamie Dorn is really great. Um, Judy Dench and her smaller role was great. I mean, overall, kind of reminded me a bit of Brooklyn. I, I oh, don't know okay. I haven't seen, seen Brooklyn. Brooklyn, but had the same sort of budget and style and, and intent of of Brooklyn, just in a black and white scape. But yeah, I was going to ask. So the the obviously the trailer was sort of a whoa moment. It has that whoa moment in the theater when it goes from black and white to color. They do play around with it a couple times. Mm. I don't know if it's necessary. Okay, I don't really understand. I, I understand it's the. The point is the cross-pollination of generations, so i.e. that we perceive this as a black and white because it's a distant memory, but they perceive it as the contemporary, i.e. the the notions of of moving from their homeland to a new frontier Mm. is more contemporary. I think that's the disposition, i.e. art transcends or the, the place is timeless itself, Belfast as a character unto itself. We don't really get that notion. I don't really think we explore that that intricately. Um, sort of has a mixture of, I would say, it's an amalgamation of, 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 of what I've said before. The Minaris meet the Romans of the world. Mm. We focus on a family dynamic like we do in Roma. And um, almost has both, but are both... I think collectively it's a weaker version of both. So, okay. Interesting. Ended up walking out being satisfied. Yeah, sure. It's about then. You know, it's not a bad film by any stretch, but when it's in the Oscar conversation, you sort of have a different uh, scope. When you sure, like it. you have a different expectation for it going in. Yeah, it's, it's apparently one of the ten best films of the year. Sure. Which it, even now I could say probably wouldn't fit in my top ten of the last year. Okay. No, it's fair enough. Well, that's it. Would would you have preferred the whole film to be in black and white or the whole thing to be in color? Um, I don't mind the choice. Probably black and white. Just collectively okay. black and white. Fair I actually enough. think the film of the week is a stronger film. Which we we'll dive into. I was gonna yeah tie it to that. Very good. Um, yeah, beautiful. So that's, that's all I've caught in the last week. Too easy. Yeah, we've both been <laughs> we've both been busy, busy. <laughs> which is quite all right. Yeah, too easy. Um, well, I'm happy to have ticked off an Oscar film though. So. Yeah, exactly. So where you're probably, dude, you're probably actually further than me. Let me pull up my Oscar ballot, which I've actually put under a bunch of stuff. <laughs> Very silly. Ah! That, that is there the we go. sound of him pulling the ballot out. Yeah, and uh, don't misconstrue it for the sound of anything else. Now, best picture, ten choices. So you've seen Belfast. Mm-hmm. Don't look up. 
Dune, Licorice Pizza, mm. Power of the Dog, West Side Story. Have you seen King Richard? You haven't seen King Richard? Oh, yeah, no. no. All right, so you're at six, and I am at one, two, three, four, five. I'm at six as well. Look at that. But a different six. What's your, what's your I've, different one? I've seen Coda okay. while you've seen Belfast. Game on, baby. Game, game on, boy. Race to ten. Let's I go. Know. Yeah, and I will say for the audience listening, it's not next week, so I'm not going to mention it at the end of the week, but the week after, Nightmare Alley comes to Disney+. Plus. Now, that, to be fair, that is a film that looks like you must see it in the cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're really, and especially now in WA... Uh, for context, for those who don't know, we've had more cases of COVID today than well, literally... Collectively. Collectively, like, Over ever. two years. Yeah, in two years, exactly. We're getting, for the first time ever, a 1,000 cases a day. Mm. Okay, When, up until very recently, we never had a 1,000 cases, period, mm-hmm. across the timeline. So, it's getting pretty uh, out there. Yeah, so which um, is why, uh, you know, we'll talk about it in the latter part of the show, but sure. while we're... Uh, we're going to be going hard and fast. At yeah, film exactly. of the week next week. I mean, yeah. So, exa- like Nightmare Alley, probably will end up being something I watch on Disney Plus for streaming. Probably Sadly, will be for me too. Just out of a, a safety concern. For sure. Um, I reckon we can get one more in Zeke, but of course we'll talk about it's a bit that saucy. at the very end of the show. Now, I don't know if you have any career updates. No, I do not. Um, the closest I have to one, uh, and it's funny because we are recording this a day late, mm. so it actually is because of that that we are recording on the free anniversary of Disconnected, which is very exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. No, it's crazy. I've still got some DVDs there. Mm. But um, We talked about does, it on does, this show. Does anyone want them? We did. We were, yeah, we episode seven. To be honest, I don't have my copy anymore. You don't? Liam has my copy. Oh, Friend of the show, Tell Liam. Liam to buy it. <laughs> no, I was going to buy... At this point, he might as well just keep it. I'm Are pretty gonna... sure you can't actually I'm happy buy to buy another copy. No, I don't... no it's... I'm pretty sure it's free now. Well, the film's free on Vimeo. You can watch it right now for free. Yeah, but I like having a DVD. Well, I'll give you a DVD. <gasps> Bro, I've got like we should put one in the tavern. <gasps> oh, my God. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> That's so funny. For a relation on the show. Yeah. No, actually, no. Tell the audience, Zeke. Tell them what you've been doing. Your so, um, so I started this podcast, obviously, Jake's talked about on the show, X Rental, a couple of years back now. X Rental? X Rental, the documentary? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, how does X Rental tie into this? I'm about to tell you. Oh, okay. So, obviously, X Rental Explores, that documentary Jake talked about a couple of years back on the show, about the dying breed of rental DVD stores. Sure. And... At the Murdoch University Tavern, which I work at, um, I started a corner known as the Blockbuster Corner. Very nice. Um, Not to be confused with the director's corner. No. <laughs> Zeke likes his corners. So, <laughs> yes, I do. I just sit in corners. <laughs> and basically, the the fundamental fact is uh, I started collecting stuff for op shops, I or oh, double shit. up films, and... Got a free DVD player, so we've started using DVDs and stuff. So, if you're a friend of the show and you have any DVDs to donate, please come to the Murdoch Tavern and donate those. But yes, Jake, as a Murdoch alumni, one of your films has to sit in the Murdoch University Tavern. Yeah, well, Disconnect is the only one on DVD, so there you go. There you go. Just play the bonus features instead. (laughs) 100% will. Because then I'm in them, (laughs) haha. Do you have anything else you'd like to add before we jump no, into the second I mean, I mean that's fine. I'm happy to jump right in. Well, it's time to move into our film of the week. Bud Jake, what are we watching? This week on the show, Zeke, we're watching Come On, Come On. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. 
when you think about the future, how do you imagine it'll be? What will stay with you? And what will you forget? <laughs> how will your city change? Will families be the same? Keeps asking why we don't talk. You could tell him the truth. Mom died and got into all that weird stuff. That weird stuff of our entire lives. What scares you? Jesse! Where'd you go? What makes you angry? Ah! I rise up like a volcano and I will destroy you. <laughs> Do you feel lonely? Maybe we can just take this process slowly and see, see how it feels. You are just terrible at this. Oh man, I'm trying. <laughs> What makes you happy? Johnny and his young nephew fought a tenuous but transformative relationship when they embark on a cross-country trip to see life away from Los Angeles, California. Did they transform Zeke? Before your eyes. Yeah, it's transcendental. Mm. Right? By nature. Um, obviously, the film is directed by Mike Mills. Jake, before we jump into the film of the week conversation, sure, you yeah. did watch another Mike Mills film. I finally caught 20th Century Women, um, which is his 2016 film. It is technically the feature he did, bef- like most recent one before Come On, Come On. He did do, I think, like a 25-minute film mm-hmm. in between, which I'll quickly... Very highly rated on Letterboxd. Oh, really? I'll quickly grab the name of that film. I thought I had this tab ready to go. Mike Mills's um, I Am Easy to Find, which is a yeah, 2019 film, 26 minutes. Yeah, 4.1, um, isn't it? Yeah, wow, look at that. I wonder if it's on YouTube. Highly rated. Interesting, yeah. And that's another thing. It was actually really hard to find 20th Century Women because it used to be on um, Netflix. Mm-hmm. And I finally see that and I watch it. It's not on Netflix anymore. Uh-huh. It's mildly annoying. Um, but I did end up watching it, and uh, for those who don't know, uh, Sandra Barbara, uh, Santa Barbara, excuse me, in California, nineteen seventy nine, and for a title like that, I I didn't know what to expect from the title twentieth century. I, mm-hmm. That's all I really knew about it, as well as the fact that it had like Greta Gerwig in it and, mm-hmm. and um, Ellie Fanning, and like I knew a few people in it, and I was wondering, I was like, oh, this uh, is it going to be like a Little Women esque sort of yeah, um, I guess film, you know, or story about yeah. like a group of women, and it ended up being a bit more. Um, transcending, if we're going to use that word again, uh, than that. And I think I'm really glad that I watched this as well as Come On, Come On, uh, in the sense that it helped me understand what Mike Mills is going for more. There's a lot of ideas in this film that are explored in Come On, Come On, especially a sort of a parental relationship or the relationship between young people and older people, mm-hmm. um, the crisscross of that, understanding each other generationally. Um, but I felt this film was actually a little bit more focused on gender, as opposed to the age and the idea that there's this um, young kid who's got a mom who's about 40, 45 years mm-hmm. older than him who, you know, she feels he doesn't have another male role model in his life or is going to grow up in this coming-of-age story um, without the proper guidance. 
mm-hmm. and ends up leaning into uh, you know a, a local girl who he sort of has a bit of a crush on. They got a, a very interesting friendship, um, but she she's very open to him, but uh, won't you know no kissing, no none of that. So of there's, course, there's a bit of a weird relationship going on there, but she bit of licorice pizza. Yeah, a little bit. A little, yeah, definitely. That's probably a good way to describe it, actually. Um, that relationship. I think the age gap is a little less, mm-hmm. um, even though it always looks like Ellie Fanning is always getting hit on by much younger men. <laughs> Look, it's something like, is it Super 8? That's her, mm. isn't it? Super 8, yeah. And the guy's like 10 years younger than her, it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure, if I watch it now, I'm sure they're much more age-appropriate. My, yeah. my, when I was like nine watching that film, I'm like, man, she's <laughs> so much perceptile. older than me. Exactly, exactly. Um, and then uh, there Greta Gerwig plays a 24-year-old woman who is also rent- just happens to be renting in that house. So it ends up becoming more about the relationship between all of those characters and, and being role models to each other. And um, it's it's absolutely beautiful. And I think tonally, so it's it's a bit more, it's obviously has color yeah. compared to Come On, Come On, which is obviously a black and white film. Uh, there's a little bit more effects like kaleidoscope effects or like characters sort of like the rim of characters becoming like colourful and, mm-hmm. and vibrant, a little hippie-esque. Um, so there's a little bit of a visual flair in that regard. Yeah, it's a I bit think, of surrealist cinema. Sure, a little bit. And I think I think Come On, Come On does similar things, but in a more grounded way with like the editing and the sound editing, which okay. we'll get into. Um, so I can, I can definitely see the relation there. And again, theme-wise, a lot of uh, connective tissue between the two. And I think for me... Now, this is going to get interesting with our review because I think I probably liked 20th Century Women more okay, and was more emotionally connected to that film. But I also made the um, assumption that it might have literally just been depending on when, in which order I watched these films. Mm. So if I watched 20th Century Women on Thursday and then mm. watched Come On, Come On today, I might have come away more interested in Come On, Come On just okay. because they're both quite... If, I don't like to use the word ethereal. I feel like I'm overusing it a lot lately. But I think the best way to describe it, and I feel this way for both films, is we can transition to Come On, Come On through this, and you tell me if you feel the same way. When I say ethereal, and I describe a film like that, something like maybe Under the Skin or something like that, uh, I feel like I'm floating, but I'm looking up into the night sky. Yeah. And I feel like Mike Mills's films, especially 20th Century Women and Come On, Come On, the two that I have seen, it feels like I'm floating, but I'm looking down. I'm actually looking yeah. down at a cityscape, like a model of people and cars going <laughs> to, about their ant-sized lives. Yeah, to support your point, and I think that's a fantastic uh, observation in the sense that these films feel in the purest form mm. a fly on the wall. And a fly on the wall is, is a weird um terminology to use because we often use that as an, as a, a way of regarding observational sure and a bit of secrecy as well and sure we're not meant to hear this conversation that kind of vibe whereas mills has encaptured with come on come on the generational perspectives of the world yes whether that's diegetic and diet non-diegetic and not in the terms of sound but in the mm. sense of thought in the sense that I, and this film couldn't have come at a more appropriate time where we're in a very uncertain time with not just um, things like COVID, but obviously you know, current states of the world and, and stuff. Like you said, we're not going to dive into it, but it's more the fact that 
this film is scared about what comes next. Mm. And we are the generation that comes next. We are the next pivotal generation that shapes the world yeah. as much as we hate it or not hate it. And we're now this weird, when we watch this film, we're the weird middle generation. We are, yes. We are not the generation being interviewed, nor the interviewees. We are the generation... Sort of wedged in the middle. Sits in the middle. So this generation's worried about that's getting interviewed diegetically about what we, the following generation, is going to do to the world, not what the parents are going to do. Right, because there's a, there's a sense of pastness with the parents. Like it's it's done. They're yeah, done. it's, it's yeah. more a curiosity, mm. and and that's why this film feels crazily for the Gen Zers, the Gen mm. Y Zers of the world, not the not the Xs or the Alphas, sure. which is the preceding generation Z, but for the Zs and Ys, because the Zs and the Ys are the ones who make the fundamental change now. Mm. And that's where it gets weird because this film becomes transcendental to time because we can look at it as it's the old interviewing the young, it's the old trying to grasp the young. But these alphas, this generation alpha that precedes us, Jake, is, is going to watch this film and when they're our age or when they're older than us, they're going to be blown away by the collections of this, this this film that has this When Harry Met Sally-like formula with using act structures to put in these incredibly real interviews yeah, yeah, between their fictionalised narrative and something that Reiner did with, with a rom-com but now we're doing with a drama, a family drama, and, and it captures the same level of humour that yeah. When Harry Met Sally does, but it has a gravitas that that film doesn't have. Not like that film's trying to do it, but it has the same sort of reality to mm, it. Yeah. These kids are real, and they fundamentally have stories that are real and shape their understanding and their fears. Yeah, that that's actually an interesting, just an stray observation to that. I wonder, because we don't know, this isn't a director's corner, and we haven't seen a lot of Mike Mills' um, work or his directorial style other than these two films. Um, but I wonder if he did go sort of that Chloe Zhao-esque. Um, Nomadland-esque. Yeah, Nomadland-esque, right? Of, um, or even Sean Baker, like how, how much real is in these children interviews? And I, the more I think about it, there's probably quite a bit of it. Yeah. And um, not to be too tangential, but mm. I'm going to tap on this before we go sure. more into the view. This was my worst viewing experience of a film in a cinema. Oh, sure. No, get it, get it out. Do it. Jake. <laughs> um, get it out of your system. So I'm going to put this out there. I don't know how many older people listen to our podcast, and I'm sure if you actually do, you actually respect this. So Yeah, if you're listening to the podcast, you're probably not this demographic. You're probably not this demographic. We're about to try. But let's just talk <laughs> about the fact that old people... Particularly, people over the age of 50 in that boomer slash are the worst on their phones. <laughs> they are. So I was in a cinema, Jake. Yes. You got lucky enough. You got to watch this by yourself. It was, empty. it was an empty cinema, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So it's the golden snitch of cinema experiences. The <laughs> golden snitch. I got to watch it with about 15, 16 people. Wow. In which there were about eight on the left, eight on the right. And I tell you this right now. The eight on the right... Seven of them looked at their phones to the point where it illuminated the cinema. (laughs) Three of those people, their phones went off loudly. Wow. 
And if you watch this film, which I'm sure you have if you've been listening to this review, you know how important sound is, which we'll tap yeah, on. Yes, sound's very important in this film. I snapped on... This is the first time I ever snapped. And I just snapped quite simply and said, how are you all older than me, yet none of you know how to turn off your phones? Yeah. Like, I am sorry, <laughs> but 15, 20 years ago, there was not even a phone notification before the cinema started, like the film started. Sure, it they didn't need to do it. It wasn't a mandate. Yeah. No one brought in a fucking landline. <laughs> um, and I swear too much unless, on the show. Unless so, you're uh, in Cape Fear and then maybe yeah. smoking a cigar, laughing, that kind of thing. And I snapped. <laughs> so you do not, mm. by any way, shape or form, bring a mobile that's actively on. And I snapped, and they, they, they replied, oh, I'm talking to my nephew or something like that. And I went, Yeah, so is Joaquin Phoenix. Let's watch that version that we yeah. paid for. <laughs> I am sorry, but I am 24 years old, and if I am telling you who are in your 40s... And uh, to the defense of that age great demographic, defense, but... one of them actually was on my side and snapped at the same time I did. Oh, very good. So he went to his partner... I don't know if girlfriend, wife, whatever it is. How can you have your phone on in a in a cinema? Like yeah. embarrassed, and I was. They actually, they actually got divorced that night. Never been to a cinema before. Don't do it. I'm sorry. Fundamentally, what what the hell? It, yeah, it's just like that mind hive, like acceptance. I just I shouldn't have to do it. I shouldn't have to say this on the show. No, it's ridiculous. Like, why are you paying to see a movie? He's gonna be on your phone the whole time. Yep. Seriously. And I usually, my phone's usually on the whole time because I typically have my phone on silent. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't need to. Now, I remember one time we saw Annette and I saw through my pocket my light, the light of my phone illuminate because someone was giving me a phone call. And I was feeling pretty anxious for the rest of the movie. Like, oh, what is this phone call about? I didn't pull it out and bloody answer the phone. Yeah. So I had to people. go to the bathroom halfway through. Um, I went in for two minutes. And while I was in the bathroom, I checked my phone for two seconds. And then put it away. Didn't reply to any messages. Just looked at it. Yep. Put it back in. Went back in. Within two minutes, in and out. That's it. Yeah. Some cinema etiquette, everyone. I actually did think about that as a short film. Um, well, cinema I, etiquette. It, but basically, I was thinking the title along the lines of like, um, Cine Station. Mm-hmm. As in the quote that I made many years ago that like going to a cinema nowadays is like going to a train station. So many people in and out and in and out and in and out. And it's like, just sit and watch the bloody movie, please. Yeah. You know, drive me insane. And then sort of exaggerating that whole thing. Actually, you know what? I, I actually did write this script. <laughs> I wrote a six page. I was so angry. This is licorice pizza because the couple kept walking in front of me the entire yeah. time. Um, I wrote a six page script, just like angry, like, I'm going to type this thing. And, and um, <laughs> it ends. It And this was during um, when COVID initially snuck back in to uh, mm. WA just after Christmas, this most recent one. And as like a big F you to this couple that I was fictionalizing in my head and in my script, basically the character has COVID, knows it, goes to the cinema and intentionally like dobs himself in so that they have to go into lockdown because he's so angry at how annoying they were in the theater. And that was my six page movie script. No one steal it. No one steal my idea. Um, <laughs> So anyway, back to come on, come on. Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> come on, Zeke. Let's talk about come on, come on. Uh, this film is fantastic. 
I mm. think from start to finish, whether you touched on the cinematography, I think this is Joaquin, one of Joaquin's best performances. Mm. Wow. And I say that because it's a subtle performance. It's a quiet performance. It's it's a a guy who is this um, he's this sound engineer who goes on the road, collects radio stories, puts them together, mm. and at first is generally despondent by the story he's invested in, and and then becomes invested because he becomes friends with his nephew mm. but it's more the fact that it's the underlying intricacies that we've touched on with pieces like blue jay and what malcolm marie tried to touch on but kind sure. of fell short and it's this genuine it's kind of what the duplasses do so well with their mm. works um is explore characters that have incredible flaws but concede them at first or subtly nuancedly bring them up and you know, it's interesting you phrase it that way because I, I never really saw any of them as, as flawed characters. That wouldn't be the term they use. Like, yeah, they're obviously imperfect humans and it is a very human story to that point. But I, I totally empathize with, with all the characters, especially, you know, you have Viv, uh, who obviously she's going through her own turmoil and she's very desperate. Yeah, Gabby that, Hoffman is just mm, unbelievably great. She's excellent, them. yeah. I mean, they, they all are, of course, but her, like, struggle and and sort of the way that she relates with Johnny, who's obviously only just now going through this like parental role mm. and understanding just how tiring and exhausting and frustrating it can be. Mm. And she's sort of from a distance. You know, as equally... a partner that has someone who has bipolar. Right, like, right, exactly. But you... is going for their own journey, um, mostly off screen. But when we see when we see that on screen, it's like she carries that energy with her and is able to sort of kind of laugh and cry at the she, same time. She has Johnny. the organic <laughs> gravitas of a mother. Mm, and it's something yep. that not many directors or even writers have been able to encapsulate. You know, you brought up Greta Gerwig at the start of this conversation. In Lady Bird, she encapsulates a mother perfectly. Sure, yeah. That weight of a mother that doesn't really know what to do with a teenage daughter. Mm, yep. Whereas this is a mother that doesn't really know what to do with her bipolar husband. Mm. And... And her subjectively, like it's like not qu- quirky. Nu- well, it's nuanced that the son has bipolar too, right? Yeah. Um, never confirmed, not diagnosable by any stretch, but it's implied that um, Woody Norman's character has bipolar. Sure. Too. Okay. Um. Yeah. Well, even even just the um the demonstration, like he has that game that. Sort of that, that role-playing game that mm-hmm. he plays with Viv and then eventually plays with Johnny. Um, and Johnny's a little freaked out about it because mm-hmm. some of the specific details that he creates in his head, these stories, mm-hmm. are quite vile and, and strange and, and um, what's the word, like dark, I guess. Um, so in regards to just having this, I believe what, he's like eight, nine years old, yep. uh, that Jesse would be. and Can we just acknowledge how good Woody Norman is? Oh, he's fantastic. He... In fact, he doesn't get a piano-esque treatment for nomination. Right, right, yeah. It is unbelievable. Well, this whole bloody film got completely snubbed. I have no clue why. It's unreal. <laughs> you know, this film is... It's wholesome, and it, 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 it evokes motions of reality and hits you in places that you don't really expect it to. 
Sure, yeah. I mean, there is this one sequence, which I'll talk about when I get to my highlight scene, but I'll leave it to then. Um, But, and it it kind of frustrates me that the film kept going after it a little bit. Okay. It needed to, but it was like such a like powerful ending. If you left it, it was such a, you might know what scene I'm talking about. I know what you're referring to, yeah. Um, Um, I feel like you probably do need that like, epilogue afterwards but i i know what you mean i do it's a hefty powerful scene yeah um one thing i really like about this film with what mills has done is this pure amalgamation of multimodal texts with the fact that he brings in uh, articles journal articles he brings in novellas he brings in uh films he this amalgamation of mm-hmm. art to consolidate the themes of the film. Sure, even like recontextualize them almost. This film is immensely powerful for how thoroughly adept it is. Maybe it's me as a teacher looking at this film and going, this sure. is just dynamite right. for a student to understand and interpret. But well, even like the intertextuality of it, specifically. Yeah, yeah. there's the teenagers giving the recounts of the world. It's these 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 literature reviews and such that because it almost feels like a film that's a literature review. You know, it's a film. Sure. Basically, it gets a bunch of literature and then creates a fictionalized narrative around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just, I will say that he does that in 20th Century Women as well. Exact same mode with the text centered, constantly referring to different articles and poems and text and. Uh, my favourite one in there is actually showed footage of Koi Nascotsi, which Fantastic. we covered. And I'll I'll save my favourite one from this film for our highlight scene. Yeah. But there was a name that stuck out one of the articles that, that Joaquin Phoenix reads. And I was like, I saw the name and I was like, wow, that is a great pull. But we'll get to that soon enough. And it's immensely powerful because it gives this factual uh, theology behind the film. Um mm. Almost like there's a reason why I'm creating this film and this is my references for yeah. why I'm creating it. <laughs> um, grounded in the film's uh, fictional structure and, mm. and and I find that fascinating. And I think that the film hits such emotional beats so well, yet has the intellect and... and um, larger scope that it becomes this incredibly profound text Mm. um which in my opinion consolidates one of joaquin's best performances because it plays back to what was so good about him which is his quiet nature not his absurd larger than life nature i think Mm. he works best when he is softly spoken the master is one of his best films and it's because he's this mulling over quiet yeah, well, it's Character. interesting because his performance in The Master, he's sort of always holding back, it mm-hmm. feels like. And for me, I actually compared compared his performance in this more to his the one he does in, in Her um, because it is sort of equally as quiet. I think in Her, there's a bit more of a, a loneliness that's like dreading mm-hmm. him. And I think here, it, that's even more subdued in this yeah, performance. Sure. And, and to your point where he becomes more involved with the interviews because of the relationship he develops with Jesse... I actually thought from the get-go, oh, he's actually quite good at interviewing kids. Like, he's asking the right questions and he's got the right tone. Um, so I think there's already a hint of that even from the start. Mm. He's, he's good with kids, but it's obviously... He's in and he's out. It's a job. And yeah, with Jesse, a, he, it has to, he has and, to be an adult 24-7. And we, as we dive into his character especially, it's 
we find out the reason he's good with kids is because there was a desire to have kids and his ex-partner who's mm. nothing more than an anecdotal reflection but it's the fact that that's left a scarring effect on him this almost this fascination in the story and particularly you know like jesse is due to the fact that um he doesn't have any kids sure and he's yeah. willing to just invest in it because a, he's trying to heal the relation, a severed relationship he's had with his sister because mm. of their uh, dementiatic mother. It seems with all implied, it's not concrete by any definition. No, I think that that's exactly what it is. Well, there's that whole scene that plays out, and and I forgot how often this film actually does sort of play with time, and it goes back and forth. I've fucking but... sorry, <laughs> I I should not swear on Ze- this. Zeke. You said Twice. a bad word. Two f words in the show, which is two more than normal. Oh, I love. No how good this film plays with um, time the over um lay of audio mixed in with uh um these past scenes fantastic a lot of jnl cuts in terms of the dialogue and, and sometimes they literally just don't match with the visual which is really interesting um it always feels right when it happens and what i love about they have that conversation in the flashback and, and yeah, their mum does have dementia and they have the argument about whether or not to lean into that, mm-hmm. you know, where she has, she has, this is what she thinks is happening. And of course, Johnny plays along with it and Viv doesn't. And, and that's part of the argument. So yeah, you're right. They have a very severed relationship that we see sort of kind of flash in and out on the screen, which is, I think is really well done. Yeah. It's yeah. a really good way of establishing relationships subtly, you know, that nuance. Yeah, we're just seeing little glimpses of what went wrong. Because it's in the it's in the performances, the two of them. Oh, there's, especially there's, when Jesse asks those questions too. Yeah. Just flat out that there's no there's no uh what's the word? Um but there's no filtering. Because mm. he's a kid. He's asking these questions. So obviously our uh, scores are quite differentiated, you know. You used to like the film but you didn't like it uh, as as prolific well, as it, I did. It sounds like it just had more of an effect on you and I think again that might be part of just literally the order that I watch these films I, I think I was more emotionally moved by 20th century women but on that token there's a very key difference that this film doesn't do that that film does um, that I think might be part of the reason why sure 20th century women from time to time it does something with the narration or the way it um, back, goes back and forth in time that it's a story being told in reflection and um, basically, you do learn the fates of the characters after the events of the film. Sure. And there's sort of this um, not impending doom, but you're watching the film with a certain level of knowledge of what's going to happen to the characters by the end of their lives. Okay. And I think that just sort of hit emotionally for me. Whereas, come on, come on, is very in the moment. Very in the moment. No, more shot chronologically. Yeah, exactly. Which again, that, that that's it's so genius as well because you you're pulling from like ET and all these other films that do play with um in terms of directing kids, mm-hmm. and that's just the way to do it. If they can work the budget around that to shoot chronologically, then that's fantastic. Mm. And the actors could will probably enjoy that. They would love that. So yeah, I think for me that's probably. Not that that's a failing on the film. I think it's I think it's great that it is very in the moment, and if anything, it's very reflective. It doesn't really look to the future too mm. much, I don't think. Uh, but that's great because we're in the moment. We're in the moment with this relationship that's developing. Yeah. So. 
Uh, I can I can flat out say this is like my this 2022 is Nebraska for me. I think it's going to be one of those sort of films I look back on and I'm just like, wow, that is just fantastic Mm. piece of cinema. Like, I think from the the moment we started getting those piece to camera reflections and then they started to really dive into some more heavier subject matter and critiques of the world, I, I think it comes back to things like the power of like things like Greta. Like like this mm. power of the youth movement where we sort of really get that. I think it hit me on a level that is probably not fair in my grading because it's so contextually appropriate to me. Our grades are our grades, man. It's whatever. And that's it. Yeah. Um, but I, I really do think this is fantastic performances. Mm. Um and across the board between the three of them, I think the story's really uh, strong, and I, I think the messaging is couldn't be more clairvoyant and in its delivery. It's um, really easy to understand mm. what's going on and and how prolific it is. And it, honestly, it's it's frankly gorgeous. And then you you think you start to account like sound and editing mixing with how they play around with. The boom mic setup, with, sure, um, and like with the, what you're hearing is well, with the eight track recording yeah. up. Yeah, I love that. Just a lot of clever. First time, things, the yeah. first time Jesse puts the headphones on and gets muffled. Um, it's just sort of that way of calmness. Um, and in a sense, as well, you're sort of entering, you're 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 putting a tool on Jesse as a character who's who's someone that both Johnny and Viv are struggling to understand mm-hmm. to an extent. And now you're giving Jesse a tool in which an avenue in which we can understand because now we're hearing the world through his ears. And when he you know puts a mic on something, we un- like that's a way of us understanding in his headspace. Okay, he's choosing this thing to focus on, or he wants to listen to this thing over here. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really cool, especially for Johnny, who obviously is providing those tools. So I think that's really neat for him to be able to do that. But it, it's just that connectivity. And, and, of course, Jesse being interested in what Johnny's job is and, mm. and eventually he's very resistant to being interviewed. But throughout, obviously, I mean, that's the journey he goes on. By the end of the film, he has his say and he actually interviews himself. He does Johnny's voice. <laughs> it tends to be Johnny. So the the big question for you, Jake. Sure. While we're, we're now into the real thoroughfare of this interview. Uh, oh, this is, is interview what now. does where does the Where does the title come from? What does... Um, I love that you brought this Jesse's up. Jesse's come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. His speech, yeah, yeah. Um, come from. Yeah, I think there was actually, you know what? Let's pull up IMDb again, because that was one of the trivia facts that I scrolled past, was an original name for this. There was a different name okay. than come on, come on, which I will bring up. I can't remember what it was off the top of my head. But the thing I noticed, or rather I should say noted when I first saw the title when I was watching mm. the film and I was sort of interpreting what the theme is. Um, and it's it becomes very clear in, in one of those last scenes, of course. But the idea behind Come On, Come On in terms of moving forward, but there are other ways to say to move forward, but mm. Come On, Come On, that specific phrasing is sort of something that comes out of frustration, almost like desperation. Like, you're desperate for this thing to move forward. You're almost sort of forcing or begging mm. it to. And I thought that was kind of interesting because yeah, I guess you would have other characters like Johnny 
is struggling to move forward. Obviously, what's happened with his with his wife with the, wasn't well, it? was his ex wife, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then even by the end, I can't remember exactly what the line is, but he said something about this is the first time I felt this way since she left me. Mm. And then Viv responds like, "That's the first time you've said any of that, mm. um, or even used that sentence as a whole." Like there is a a a, a series of characters hoping and begging each other to come on, come on and move forward Yeah, um, through their struggles. So that that's how I interpret it. I mean, it, it. it's Viv accepting the fact that she has a mentally ill father to a child mm. um, and being able to check her into a, check him into a, a place where he can get help. Sure. Yeah. Um, and accepting that she is going to have to fundamentally raise this child that, is suggestive to me of the same hereditary situation, but just accept it and be the best mum she can be. Yeah. Well, there's definitely the way it portrays those frustrations. She's frustrated with her son. Johnny's frustrated with Jesse, and then mm-hmm. Jesse's frustrated with Johnny as well. Like, I think there's a beauty in all of that frustration because it, yeah. it obviously feels so real. And I think that, I mean, that makes sense to me. The alternative title was actually Magnetic Fields, which I guess is, I it's not a sound term, but that could have somebody to do with sound or, I know they're like under the bridge at one point or looking at these electrical. God, I'm so happy they changed it. Yeah, yeah I mean, come on, come on, it's a much, it's more direct, but I think it's like definitely a clever title. It's um, a good scene. But yeah, that is a good scene. I mean, we can talk about that scene if you want. Yeah. I think this this film is best enjoyed with people on their phones all around you, with minimal <laughs> uh, contact. So I really ho- I don't know I don't know if you know which streaming platform it will eventually rock up on. Oh, I have no idea. But it's it's a it's a golden it's a golden film in the sense that it's there for an introspective reflection of, especially if you're our age, like Jake and I are on the show, big twenty mm. fours, but. Um, it definitely. I'm twenty four and a half. <laughs> yeah, you're almost. Actually, you're I'm almost, 24, I'm it's crazy. 24 and three quarters. Actually, it's, oh, it's shit. Crazy on you, buddy. Oh boy, oh no. <laughs> but it definitely comes to this film is is prolific for that reason because you're in that middle ground between the people being interviewed and the people doing the interviewing. But you you sort of sit there and you you you're kind of resonated with that fact because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, mm. and I think the uncertainty, but the optimism that a lot of them have, it, it warms the heart, and it's like you know we can we can talk about the that scene that I was talking about, the one that made me crumble, like the father mm. did. Um, yeah, man. <laughs> and it's the scene where Joaquin's sitting in bed with his, um, with Jesse and reading this Starry Nights, I believe it is. Oh, I thought you were referring to the scene when they're out in the park yeah. and he's running off. He just, he found it that his mum's coming back home. I thought that's the scene you were referring that's to. That's a strong scene though. Interesting. Okay, we'll go, yeah, go back uh, to the, the, yeah, the, the Starry bed. Night monologue, um, which happened to about 15 minutes before that and. I think the, the I've got to get the text because I think the text was absolutely gorgeous mm, by Mills' yeah. selection, um, and it obviously it actually brought Joaquin to Phoenix in the scene. Yeah, Joaquin Phoenix yeah, to, to, to tears in the scene. And that's sort of where the but it's this sort of moment of looking and appreciate moments for what they are yeah. and their imperfections, and it's something that. 
a child doesn't understand, but an adult does, because sure. an adult doesn't get a break. And no, well, the ad- the adults sort of lived through a lot of like they've they've lived a life at this point, and they can understand this thing. I think part I, of this film. Sorry, I don't mean to no, interrupt you. Well, I think part of this film for me is the relationship that adults and kids have with each other, and the fact that a lot of their worries and their concerns and their fears and their hopes and their dreams are all sort of interchangeable in a lot of ways. And yeah. I, think, I mean, that's where a lot of the, I think the kids' interviews comes into play and, and that's the takeaway I got from a lot of their ramblings and their talking. I had a truly fascinating experience. So I like finished this film and I was emotionally charged and then I went to my first class for one of my like new semester units, which sure. was yeah. Introduction to Positive Psychology, which is about self-love and... Did you just watch Come On, Come On again? I just watched... <laughs> you basically went in and we were actually told to go in the courtyard and read a, a document talked about self-loving and mm. i'm sitting there just like melting yeah because wow. i'm like i was already emotionally charged with this from the movie introspective piece that now i have to explore my own vulnerabilities right now and yeah. i'm like a mess basically because yeah. i was yeah. like so i had to like remove myself i had to leave the building for like 10 minutes because yeah. i was like i can't do this i just can't let myself I can let myself be like this, but I don't want to let myself be like this in front of people. Mm. So I'm like sitting there and this is probably what really ticked me over the edge because it's like this scene, this beautiful scene, which is probably like a spoiler for my heart scene because it was. It was the the fact that they were lying in bed together in this monologue and it was just a collection of of beauty and, and intricacies and always felt like an amalgamation of their relationship, but also... Joaquin's lust for having uh, that that romantic longing, but also kids, particularly. Yeah. Yep. Like, Jesse has become this uh, paternal placeholder for him. It's, it's allowed him to be a father in, 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 in a disposition, which is fantastic. But it just pissed me off that in this scene, the woman neck, like on the other side of the theatre decided to check her phone. And Jesus. I just snapped. And I was just like, mate... That's enough. That's just enough. Nah. No, it's shameful, especially a movie like this. Like, who's watching Come On, Come On to kill time? Yeah. You know, like, I just don't care. I mean, really, any film, but... Like, if you it's check like, your phone... It, the fact that I saw, what, four times more phones in that film than I did in Uncharted. Yeah. Or even, even Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. When we saw Avengers Endgame, people were taking flash photography of the bloody movie. Yep. And I then was, when, when a phone shocked. was whipped out in Spider-Man, the collective groan put that phone away pretty quickly. <laughs> that was it. Now, that's the audience. right? Can you believe... Okay, Zeke, can we just go into this for a second? Mm-hmm. That the full house Hoyt screening of Spider-Man opening night, No Way Home, opening night is not part of the title. I just watched it right in the middle there, like fan full stick. Um, was a better, more captivated, more polite audience than your lunar screening of Come On, Come On on a Wednesday afternoon. What the hell? How did that happen? That's disgusting. Yeah. Like, it's making me (laughs) think twice about going to see, like, Cyrano. I was like, oh, I'll go see it. It's 12.50, I'll go see it. Sure. Do I really want to go watch Cyrano? I have to deal with that. That's just weird, because I went to the same cinema you did the day after, around the same time. I think it was, like, 2.50 my screening. Empty, completely empty. So, like, I can't even, like, recommend you when to go. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. 
Why do why do people want to? Go, oh, Wednesday's cheap day, isn't it? I guess, uh, but it's like I, I went to Belfast today before, probably about the same amount of people. No, okay, disrespect. Okay, in Belfast, so weird. I'm just gonna snap next time, and if it gets me kicked out of the <laughs> cinema, I'll. <just> accept it. <laughs> It'll be worth it. Uh, as long as we talk about it on this podcast, yeah, Jake, Jake. I only talk about the first half of the movie because I got kicked out. <laughs> I was a big uh, fan of this film. This film yep. is is the the emotional mover I I've longed for on this show for a, probably a at least a hot second. Sure. I think, um, I think I knew I was gonna love this film before I even saw it, and I watched it. and I was like, yeah, it's about what I expected. Yeah. Awesome. I walked oh, out happy and, you know, and happy but also aware of, of the world. And That's it. And like I said earlier, I was getting, like, while I was, and thank God I was in an empty cinema, so it was okay for me to at least flip my phone and see what was the buzz, the literal buzz. But, yeah, and it was all the stuff obviously happening on the other side of the world. And it's it's very, like, a film like this is so interpersonal. And like the the world that this film is exploring is so small, even though it is a cross country film, and we're visiting all these different states, um, and you get the cool visual differences mm. from there. But the story, the actual story, is very small, very small, very focused story on these um, very small number of characters. So re- having something like that being sent to my phone while watching it was very, it was it was different. It was a clash, um, which was very unfortunate, but. Um, I don't know. I'm glad we can see films like this that are very introspective and small. And I'm guessing it was shot during COVID. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm pretty positive it would have been. But anyway. So, Jake, are you ready to jump into hearts? Yeah. Um, I think it's a bit of a cheat, but I will I will specify one, as I teased before. I loved all of the... Um, again, I'll use the word euphorial, but I've, I've mentioned specifically what I mean, this idea of looking down on an ant colony of people and just mm-hmm. sort of feeling exploring. yeah exploring and just feeling that energy and having all those you know the kids monologues coming through and and we're seeing you know these flashes of the city and, and architecture and i think there's some time lapses in it as well could be wrong um but there's a lot of that and, and mike mills loves doing this is a ton of these moments in 20th century women as well where it's just almost archival footage where characters sort of ramble about things mm-hmm. um and it actually reminded me of the austin mcconnell youtube film he did called voicemails from strangers Mm-hmm. Uh, which is very similar. It's literally just random people calling in for about 30 seconds, talking about whatever they want. And it's all this um, sort of aerial drone footage and it's all slow and the music's kind of sappy and it works really well. And it reminded me of that. The one I really wanted to shout out as my highlight scene is, of course, um, the piece that he read that was written by none other than Kirsten Johnson, director of Dick Johnson is Dead, who I was really happy to see mm-hmm. given a shout out in this film. I was like, that's awesome. How great is that? Oh, I love that. Because it's about interviewing. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what it's about. And she's a documentary filmmaker. It's like, I love that. I love it so much. Which the we did it on the show. We did do that on the show. And Koya Nascotti, which got a shout out in 20th Century Women. So look at look at us all filmmakers just rolling in the mud together, Zeke. I love it. <laughs> uh, and yeah, well, you, you've talked about your highlight scene, eh? Yeah, and, the, and it hits home. Yeah. But I like how prolific the cross literature pollination is mm. in this film. Yeah. I no, it's, it's good. And, and, and to our point earlier, we said how much of the kids' monologues were real or like written pieces that child actors read. It's like, I think the fact that he's using real articles and poems and pieces and actually crediting them on screen, 
which you could say maybe is distracting to mm-hmm. the, the tone and aesthetic of the film, but I think it adds to it because it's like that yeah. show of appreciation. Um, I think it, it goes down that rabbit hole. So yeah, I think, I think come on, come on's excellent. I think, look, to answer my question, would I put it on my 1100 film poster? Probably yes. I would probably put 20th Century Women on there first. Okay. Um, just because I think it the the themes that it explores are just a little bit. But I've deeper. convinced you. I would say you convinced me. Yeah. I mean, come on, come on, it's a great film. Are you kidding me? Like, mm. go watch it. It's excellent. No worries. Well, come on, come on is currently out in cinemas near you. Mm. Speaking of cinemas, Jake, what is new to cinemas and streaming platforms this week? Huge week, Zeke. Huge. Get ready. Uh, so streaming, let's focus on that specifically. On Netflix, we have the Tony Collette drama series Pieces of Her, which premieres this week. Gotta love As, Tony. Oh, gotta love Tony. I rewatched the ending of Muriel's Wedding the other day. It's on uh, Netflix right now. Is it? Yeah. Oh, that is a that is one of my favorite endings of all time. Like, wow. Authentically. Best use of ABBA music in any film. <laughs> <laughs> Better than Mamma Mia, I'll say it. Wow. Um, you also have The Weekend Away, which sees a woman trying to find her best friend who has since vanished during a girl's trip and stumble upon increasingly unsettling deceptions. A little vague, but we'll jump with that. Sounds interesting. Coming to stand this week, you have Rabbit Proof Fence, as well as the premiere to yet another Tiger King-esque story. This one is called Joe vs. Carol. So th- this is the fictionalized thing they've done, eh? Yeah. Yeah. It looks interesting. I mean, unfortunately, because of the documentary series, it's tough to get on board. Yeah, it feels like everyone's sort of jumping the hype train, like, Neither of us caught season two. No. Like, what the hell is season two of Tiger King? Like, really? Yeah. Like, yeah, I, don't, I think people really cared in that moment because we were all locked in our houses. And it's a, it's an unbelievably fascinating story. I mean, the doco is fantastic. Yeah. But it's getting stretched to death. Yep. So, yeah, it's like that new Fantastic Beast film. They're 100%. still making those. What in the With Mads Mikkelsen world? now. Yeah, Mads Mikkelsen. See, that would be interesting, but... Man, that, that most... The one they did, the second one, was... That was terrible. That was really. I didn't bad. watch it. Yeah. Oh, it was. It's God. What a film. Um, <laughs> anyway. God, what a film. I know. Not in a good way. Coming to Disney Plus this week, you have 2021's West Side Story, which we covered very recently. Crazy. So there you go. So I guess you can catch both of the. Oh, the mm-hmm. other ones on Stan. So the the 60s versions on Stan. You can get this new one on Disney Plus. So um, watch it. Make what you will. It's uh, it's up there, Oscar nominated. I mean, we did it. We've talked about it before. Yeah. Uh, the Amanda Seyfried-led series premieres this week as well, called The Dropout. And there's also an original film, this is coming to Disney+, Plus, of course, called Fresh, which focuses on the modern horrors of dating as seen through the eyes of a young woman who is battling to survive her new boyfriend's unusual appetites. Now, I'm going to guess it's a bit of a horror film there, the word appetite, some sort of cannibalism going on. Mm-hmm. not too sure. But when I read that, it reminded me of the plot of a six-minute short film that I actually worked on last year called I Never Said That, which you can find on Perth Film School's YouTube channel. And uh, there you go. take it for what you will, but it reminded me of that, which I thought was quite funny. Bit of a gaslighting-type film, but guy and a girl going to the apartment. A little bit of a horror aspect to it. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, also coming to binge this week, so we are recording a little late, so the Euphoria Season 2 finale has already dropped, of course. We Spicy. talked about it. Um, and apparently today is the premiere of, get this, Zeke, The Walking Dead Season 10C. 10C. How does that work? I, so I guess oh, like Breaking Bad Season 5B, you know what I mean? Like a yeah. half-season thing. 
10C. Okay. Season 10.3. Okay. Just call it season 12. This isn't like Dragon Ball Z where you bought the DVDs and it was like version 1.8. And then you spend two months looking for version 1.9. It's like, oh no, it's actually 2.1 now. Did Dragon Ball Z burn you at some point? (laughs) You could tell this was quite a a built up rant I had ready to go. Dude, I was a young boy. My older brother getting me into Dragon Ball Z. And we're looking for Dragon Ball Z. It's it's like volume 1.1, 1.2, 1.3. We get to like, yeah, 1.7, 1.8. And we, we spend months, months looking for like the next one, 1.9. And it doesn't exist. It's 2.1 now. I was like, yeah. how are we meant to know that? There's no internet back in young Jake yeah. days. Like, what's... Oh, my God. Are you okay, Jake? I'm okay. I'm fine. Uh, just Walking Dead season 10. See, just just end it for the love of God! Don't say season ten's your last season, and then make five like it's like doing a series take, and then you shoot like seven takes in your series take. Like, don't don't do it, you dicks. Anyway, excuse me. That hurts. I know. So we're still on binge. You also got Castaway that's coming, as well as this is exciting. Eighty nine's Batman, as well as the other one. So Returns Forever, Batman and Robin. That's Mm -hmm. what's coming. I wonder why. (laughs) <laughs> we'll get into that soon. Uh, and Persona, the dark truth behind personality tests, which is a documentary about, you guessed it, the dark truth behind America's obsession with personality tests. <laughs> Spicy. Spicy. Now, if you do want to go to the cinemas, you're you're crazy. <laughs> but if you... <laughs> What's well, new to cinemas but this it, But if you do, uh, there are quite a few screenings at Luna this week for films like Blind Ambition, which is a documentary that quote-unquote, celebrates the human spirit. I love that we're still keeping this vague. I love it. Uh, Ruby's Choice, which is the story of a teen girl who must share her bed with her dementia-written grandmother. So there we go, another grandmother with dementia. Cool. That always comes back in somehow. Um, And both parts one and two of The Souvenir. Now, I've heard a lot about this, The Souvenir, and I'm hearing that The Souvenir Part 2 is, like, one of the best films of the last year. But I also, like, I'm like, what is it? I don't know. So apparently, they're both playing at different times at Luna. Is this a tickled situation? Like t- tickled with tickled king? Is that how? No, I don't. I don't. It's just like I've just heard these are like really excellent films, but like I don't. I, don't, I never find them anywhere. So I'll read. I'll read the synopsis. This is what I got in general for the two different films. Okay. I've said that the two films focus around a young, ambitious film student in 1980s London who's entangled in unpredictable romances. That sort of seems like the general theme for both films. I'm hearing they're both excellent. And I think they're doing a double screening next Monday the 7th. So we'll probably be doing the podcast during that. Will we, though? Well, yeah, we'll just do it late again. <laughs> do it late or we do it early. I know. We'll see. But um, that I really would like to go and see these two films. And you mm. came back to back on Monday. So that's very exciting. But, Zeke, these are all, like, snooty Luna films. We're not going to watch those. No, we are definitely not. But, Jake, <laughs> what are we watching? Next week on the show, Zeke, we're watching The Batman. Police! Hands up! Stay still! Fear is a tool. 
But when that light hits the sky, it's not just a call. It's a warning. corruption in Gotham City that connects to his own family, all the while facing the serial killer known as the Riddler. Oh, babe! Oh, my goodness. Oh, my, oh my goodness. I think I've been this excited for a superhero film ever. On the ever? Show. On the show. Oh, my. Okay, fair enough. Um, I know you were pretty excited when Anne Hulk came out in 2003. You were pretty excited about that. I've never seen that film. <laughs> really? No. Oh, my goodness. You should. It's it's interesting. <laughs> Look, this is it. This is this is it, baby. I'm probably gonna go see this tomorrow before everything gets really bad. Yeah, yeah. I did. I promised my brother I'd actually watch it with him, so I'm gonna watch it with him on Saturday. Gonna be a nice little brotherly. Show. It's that would be the first time me and my brother saw a film together, just the two of us, in nearly ten years. The other time was Amazing Spider-Man. A spicy proposition to yeah, say the yeah, least. Yeah. But until then. Thank you for joining us for the Cinema Star Show podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with The Batman. The Batman? Who <laughs> knew I was to have put on the mask? Uh, Gothamites! Rushing the splash. <laughs>